Yeah. I got that. Again, One I more time. Myself. Yeah, yeah. One, two, two three, three, four, five, six. Great. Yeah? Yep. All right, we're going to be out of sync like crazy. No, that right. was spot on for me. You worried about it last time, <laughs> and it was fine. <laughs> Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. Hello. Well, welcome back to quarantine for another week. Well, not quarantine. What is it? Just isolation. We're, we're still podcasting from fucking S- Samsung mes- video messenger. Yeah, I think it's isolation because neither of us, as far as we know, have the Roni. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yes. The two the two Ronies were definitely ahead of their time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so we're we're uh, back again for another week on Samsung video call. Yeah. Uh, if Professor Samsung wants to sponsor us, then hit us up. Professor Mr. Samsung himself. Mr. Samsung. I guess that probably himself. is someone's name, right? Someone in Korea. I wonder if it is. I'd say it is. It's like Samsung is a fucking family business or some shit. It probably was when it started. <laughs> now it's some <laughs> monstrous Hydra. <laughs> maybe maybe it means something. Like you know, Lego means like we play in Danish or some shit. What does Samsung mean? Samsung is Korean for slow updates. It is. <laughs> good joke. It's <laughs> Korean for tri-star or three stars. That sucks. The word three represents something big, numerous, and powerful. <laughs> I reckon. Numerous. I reckon it actually doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> we, need, we need to give our company a, a, a name with a crazy high number, like three. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess um, it's like in Chinese, in Mandarin, I think the character for big is the same as like the character for tree, I think. Or maybe it's mountain, but like um, it's like something that's, it's like, yeah, I guess it's pretty big when you think about it. I guess it's probably, it was probably the biggest thing they had around when like, <laughs> when they were coming the up with the language, they right? <laughs> yeah. When they were coming up with the Samsung Galaxy S1. Yeah. When all they were they, inventing had Korean, was three. no one had ever seen more of three things in one place at any one time. <laughs> really fucked them when they came up to the Samsung Galaxy S4. Yeah, they were like, yeah. we'll call it the Galaxy S... Yeah. Oh, shit. The Galaxy S3 plus one. <laughs> <laughs> the Galaxy S3 plus three divided by three. <laughs> <laughs> Just to keep it as big as possible. They, <laughs> your implication is that they didn't have the numbers one or two. They only had the number three, and they still considered it to be the biggest thing that they had ever seen. <laughs> no, my, implica- my implication three was Three is the biggest that- and smallest number that they have. <laughs> Merely that three divided by three is a funnier way of arriving at the number at one the number than one. two minus one. Yeah, sure. You got the, the numerical alliteration there. Or plus one, I suppose. You're right. They could have just added one. But you this know what? This is a podcast about movies. <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> welcome back to another episode of Beef Station. This is, of course, our movie podcast where each week-ish we go out and see a new movie <laughs> or uh, we uh, catch up with something online. Each week we stay in and see uh, an old movie. We're recording as of April the 6th, which yep. I suppose is now only important to state, uh, state the date because shit changes all the time. Well, now it's important um, because we can assemble this footage later in some sort of apocalyptic video diary style entry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This will be found footage. Yeah. Where um, some Peter Jackson equivalent in 50 years has to make a documentary about our Let It Be. Yeah. Us, the Beatles of podcasting. <laughs> um, all right. <laughs> so... so 
we uh, yeah, still can't go see movies. We're still stuck just yeah. sitting on the couch watching Netflix. So this week we were inspired by a conversation we had last week talking about Charlie Kaufman and being John Malkovich. I don't remember why we mentioned it, but it I reminded me that he had written a movie called Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Right. Which is a... I mean, I suppose on the surface it's a romance movie. It's a rom-com. I suppose there isn't as much com as there is rom. Yeah. More like a sci-fi romance kind of drama. Right. It's a t- it's a twist on the normal rom-com uh, formula. Yeah. Directed by Michelle Gondry. That's correct. And written by Charlie Kaufman. Also written by Michelle Gondry and a couple of other people. So I'm not sure how much. There's this dude involved called Pierre Bismuth. That <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. But uh, one thing I have to say about Pierre Bismuth. Kaufman did the screenplay. Yeah, right. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's what's important. And I've only ever seen this movie and uh, Being Your Malkovich, but they're both kind of weird and unusual kind of ideas for a movie. Well, friend of the show, friend of the show Zach has talked to me a lot about uh, Synodoke, New York, which is also one of his. So Yeah, well, I imagine that's probably also pretty strange. It is um, apparently very, very bizarre. I'd say, from yeah. what he's told me, it's quite a bit stranger than either <laughs> of the other two. So Yeah, right. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Um not Senator New York. We're never talking about that ever again. Uh, we'll, <laughs> never <laughs> we'll, mention that to me again. <laughs> we'll talk about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind later. Mm-hmm. Um, we both watched it this week. It's on Netflix. Uh, so if you want to go watch it and come back, mm-hmm. we'll be waiting for you because yeah. we're not going anywhere we'll anytime be here, soon. Right in your little phone. How good stuff. Uh huh. Uh, for the moment, for the meantime, though, we're going to launch into some other stuff to kick off the show. Yeah. Um, get into a bit of news, current events, other shit we may have been watching. Do you want to start with the news, boy? Sure, let's do it. All right. Beef Bulletin. It doesn't sound too bad, the lag, while we're doing that music. No, but I can hear yourself adjusting. I can hear you adjusting your pace to try and match mine. I feel like you need to mute me while you're doing it, and I'll just match you so we don't have two conductors trying to match each other. (laughs) (laughs) That's an idea for like a... That's a good sketch. A a good sketch. (laughs) Conductors conducting each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, yeah, who who conducts the conductor? Yeah. And there's like a conductor... Yeah. You got it. It's It's the hand drawing itself thing. Um. Of course, there's a whole swathe of new movie announcements, <sighs> movie announcements that have been cancelled and shit that's being delayed. So that in the, the latest, uh, yeah, folks, this might this might surprise you, but it's not good news this week. <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole bunch more shit that's been delayed and yeah. pushed back and all sorts of shit like that. Um, Indiana Jones Five. Which I didn't even realize. Oh, is I stand out. corrected. There is actually good news, folks. <laughs> Um, Indiana Jones 5 isn't coming back until at least 2022. Good. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Dude's going to be fucking 80. Yeah. Or some shit by the time that comes out. They're going to have to, not even like, they're going to have to deep fake Harrison Ford onto a body double even though he's still alive (laughs) because he just won't be able to do all the shit that they need him to do. (laughs) Yeah, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Kidney Stones. Fuck. Am I right? People were making... Do you remember when Crystal Skull came out? <laughs> Very good. People were making jokes when that when Crystal Skull came out that he was fucking old. And it's like, what, four or five years since that came out? Mm-hmm. So... It's yeah, a lot God, longer it's than gonna be like, Yeah. It's going to be like nearly a decade. 
Oh, I can't imagine. I've heard, I heard he wants these as well. He must be making so much money from them. Well, he can't. I, I feel like... Yeah, 2008. So 12 years ago, Crystal Skull. Fuck. Yeah, I remember it was And people were making jokes about him being like... Having a catheter ben. and being in a wheelchair Yeah, because Shia LaBeouf was in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Christ. I um, He's going to be very, very old. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, man. Um, there's, there's been there's been several uh, movies that are going straight to streaming services as well. There's some Artemis Fowl Disney movie. Oh, I've been kind of interested uh, in seeing that. Colin actually. Farrell in it. Did you ever read Artemis Fowl? No, I never read them. I know that you were you're into them, and our so uh, primary school mate Ed was into it a lot. Oh, but I, ne- yeah. I never ended up reading it. Um, They're excellent. Uh, but it, it's getting more of a low key launch on um, Disney Plus instead. I'm interested to see if that will be lower key because, like, I think it will be hard to get people to sign up to streaming services. And, like, obviously, we are hurtling towards a recession, so people are going to (laughs) have a lot less money. And you also can't really attribute box office to any specific movie if it's straight to a streaming service. Like, at least if it's on this one of these, like, Amazon buy the rental type things, then you can at least say how much money it made. But then. I guess the best metric that you probably have is, like, if I'm going to watch something on a streaming service I don't have, I'll sign up usually very shortly before I watch it. And I probably won't watch any other shit on that streaming service. Right. So, from an analytics perspective. How many users go and watch that first? Just went straight and then maybe don't watch much else. I suppose so. I suppose at some point you'd, you'd want to be making sure that they make a pro- they make more money. A company will be making sure they make more money off of subscriptions than they spend on content. But there must be like so many companies that are just like losing money hand over fist producing all this content for their streaming services. Like yeah. I can't imagine that Netflix and Disney Plus are making that much money. But oh, I don't know. Maybe uh, that's not true. I think Netflix is making shitloads, and I yeah. don't know how much Disney's doing from its streaming service. But obviously, they don't need any help. So yeah, yeah. Um, there's all sorts of Marvel bullshit that's been pushed back as well. So the Black Widow um, is coming out in November now, um, about a week or so before James Bond, the new James Bond movie, which is apparently completely finished. So they're sit- they're literally just sitting on it, waiting for. That's so funny. After it took so yeah. long, <laughs> and they're like, they're like, imagine pulling like. 110 hour weeks in the editing room yeah and then like you get it done massive crunch and then you 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 like push back from your desk and you spin around on your wheelie chair and the door opens and someone's like do you know what coronavirus is <laughs> I'm like no but please cough in my mouth yeah, right now. Like, this movie's not gonna come out for at least like six months oh god <laughs> they're like it's this weird disease that makes you really tired and fatigued and the yeah. poor editor's like no oh, i have no idea what what's you're that like <laughs> Yeah, that's um, horrible. <laughs> yeah, God. Um, uh, so yeah, it, it's apparent. Uh, there's another news article here that separately says like the director has said, um, "No, nah, it's 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 already finished and it's unlikely to change." Which I like as a little disclaimer. I, I'm looking forward to three months now. For he's like, "Fuck it, I'm changing the bond. We're going to see you in." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Idris Elba after all. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> It's going to be... It's weird because, like, no one really is sure how long it'll be before we can actually sort of sit in cinemas again, really. Like... Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see. So, I don't know. Whenever they release it. Yeah. There's, um... For, for the gamers out there, there's also some... There's bad news about a bunch of different video games being delayed. This this is just happening across, like, almost any industry where that has release dates, I suppose. Yeah, well, there's even even musicians where like concerts are being cancelled and albums yeah. are being pushed back and shit. Yeah, 
Oh, it's such a it's such a bummer. Yeah, but there's so there's, there's 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 a list here on Variety. Oh no, on the Hollywood Reporter of some big movies that you're going to be able to stream or buy online maybe a lot quicker than they you normally would be able to because right. their screenings have been affected by the coronavirus the corona. thing. Yep. So you'll soon be able to sh- so you already can stream on Amazon and Google Play and YouTube and shit. You can stream the new Pixar movie onward. Which is the one, oh. uh, which is like a modern movie set. It, it, it's like set in the modern day, but it's with magical creatures like unicorns and shit. Um, and it stars Chris Pratt and Tom Holland. And this is Pixar. This is the new, the new Pixar movie. I think it's the I think it's the same guy that did Up, but I'm sort of pulling that out of my ass. Dude, it's oh crazy. no, it's, it's the same guy. The same guy that did Monsters University. Oh yeah, that was good. Yeah, and yeah, Cars. Um, <laughs> yeah, and um, the new uh, the new Anya Taylor Joy uh, Jane Austen adaptation Emma. Is available for streaming. Uh, or I'm, for all of these, I mean, like you pay te- twenty bucks or whatever, and you can stream it. Um, right. So okay. So it's, you buy a movie ticket. Basically, you can watch I, it actually, I looked at the Pixar one. The Pixar one in Australia is thirty dollars. Fuck me. Which is getting up there, being like taking the piss a bit, I think. But if you and your partner or whatever wanted to stream it, that's fifteen bucks each. But it means like me, I, I functionally I live like alone. Like I. <laughs> You're just copying a thirty dollar. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna yeah. pay thirty dollars to to watch the new Pixar movie. So I'm just not seeing that. Be a real shame if it uh, got targeted <laughs> by millions of people worldwide. Yeah, God, I can't really see many other ones on this list that I'm particularly excited by. The Gentleman Guy Ritchie movie. Yeah. Uh, the Trolls movie with Anna Kendrick and Justin oh, Timberlake. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> a whole bunch of shit but I, I feel like uh, but for the most part all the exciting movies that I've seen that people kind of want to see and are excited about in, at least in the mainstream are all being pushed back yeah it's kind of ridiculous like Oof. the Black Black Widow that uh, Kamel Manjani Angelina Jolie dude won, Onward uh, has Eternals. a Metacritic of uh, 61% is that the Pixar one yeah yeah I'd be curious to know how many reviews that's from though because God, um, that's really bad because well, it, has barely, a, it has a box been office out. number of um like a hundred million, so clearly it did get some sort I don't of know how. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, don't know. right. Um, but Maybe yeah, that's fi- in like the Estonian market or 56 something. Fifty-six critic reviews, sixty-one. That's really bad for a Pixar movie. Shit. <laughs> yeah, right. Oof. That is pretty bad. Anyway, sorry. I don't know. I'll probably watch it at some point, but not for thirty dollars. No. Maybe that's um, what's putting the sound <laughs> sound <laughs> feeling. None of the critics got review copies, so they all had yeah, to pay thirty <laughs> bucks to watch it. <laughs> like fuck. This movie. Yeah, like what's it like to pay for a movie for once? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So how's this? This is. I I think everything about this headline is very sketchy. Okay. But I, I propose that it's funny. All so right. you know, and with that if, with if that like, context in mind, let's go into not, it. <laughs> How about if it's not? This turns out to be sketchy. We'll just delete this whole segment. This whole segment. There'll be a big boop, and we'll jump cut straight to the next that one. That sounds good. I think this is funny. I'm going into it. I'm expecting a laugh. After coronavirus lockdown, streets are stuck in a Nazi-occupied Paris look after 1942 set abandoned. <laughs> what? <laughs> Two streets in Paris are stuck in the year 1942 after a film set, a film set decorated to look like Nazi-occupied Europe was deserted due to the city going into lockdown amid the coronavirus crisis. So they're like swastikas up and shit. Uh, some French movie directed by some French guy was wrapping up filming right as the. <laughs> uh, lockdown went into place and they didn't have any time to pack up all the sets. Um, 
so yeah, uh, there's fake facades in front of all the shops for tailors, corset shops, a shoe repairer, and a mirror maker. There's war propaganda and signs in yeah. German all up all over the place. Oh man, <laughs> there's like two <laughs> streets say- in Paris that are just full of swastikas. That's quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it doesn't. I, I can't quite say. I mean, I, feel, I realize the swastikas is a very important and very crucial part of how funny this might be. Um, right. uh, but I can't quite see whether they're stuck with swastikas on the walls. But it says here, residents who live in these two streets must now do a view of the city's World that, War II past. That's the funny part. That's the funny part is waking up every day to like <laughs> this surreal 1942 experience. <laughs> like, am I going insane? Oh, like, God. You're sitting there on like in a Zoom meeting and you kind of face out staring out the window. <laughs> this post up about like Dear Uden. <laughs> yeah, good shit. Fuck. That's um, funny. Yeah, okay. Certified funny. Certified funny. Great. Yep. All right, well... Uh, yeah, well, I was going to say, listen, vocal map, but don't need to. They were along for the ride the I whole time. So, yeah. It was totally worth it. Totally funny. Uh, there's going to be a TV adaptation of Bong Joon Ho's 2013 film Snowpiercer. Oh, God. Um, and it's had its release date pushed forward. Great. <laughs> uh, it was originally going to come out on <laughs> May the 31st. Why? But now it's been brought forward to. May the 17th. Okay, well. <laughs> you can get a lot done in two weeks, let me tell you that. <laughs> well, certainly hope not. They've just lost two weeks. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's going to be on Netflix everywhere except the US and China. So, take that. That rules. Um, <laughs> everywhere except, like, the two biggest markets. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I don't know. I'd be curious to see that. It's a very exciting every, kind of every universe. Every single part of that entire headline and subtext was very confusing, I just want to say. Like, Snowpiercer is a very short-lived idea that I think would, I'll, I'll say it now, will outlive its welcome very quickly. <laughs> and, uh... Well, it's not like it's been commissioned for seven seasons It's or been anything, pushed so. forward. That's really strange. I'm guessing that means it was already done and they were just waiting to release it. But I'm going to be like, honest, I didn't, I didn't read the article before I read out the headline. I was kind of hoping it was going to be like, oh, it's going to come out in December and now it's coming out now. But it's like, no, it's going to come out in six weeks and now it's, it's coming out It's weird that it's like weeks. a week and a bit. <laughs> and they're like, oh, and not in China. That's really yeah. strange. Um, have you been following this controversy? Um, if you're not a big Simpsons nut, maybe you don't care. But um, are you familiar with the, the fact... The aspect ratios. Yeah, the aspect ratio yeah. thing? Right. So the first season... The first 20 or 19 seasons of The Simpsons, for those who don't know, uh, were originally screened in 4x3 aspect ratio. Old CRT TV aspect yeah. ratio. Yeah. Um, and then at some point when they were remastered for HD or whatever, and then Disney, Pl- Disney Plus got those and whacked them up on their streaming service, um, they uploaded them in 16x9. Like the widescreen format, which feels like it would be more difficult to do than maintaining the old aspect ratio. I th- I feel like at some point, um, so bizarre. This was an this was an existing decision that was made years ago on DVDs or something, right? Okay. Um, but obviously, if you try and turn a square into a rectangle, like you have to cut off the top and the bottom, and there's like, oh, it's, hang it's on, a, there. It's a, it's you're a making a few for, assumptions there. <laughs> it's a problem for Simpsons purists, and I suppose anyone who really cares about the show because there's several gags where something happens in the top quarter or the bottom quarter of the screen and it's just straight up cut off. It's just for gone. For 19 seasons. <laughs> That's very... It, that is also quite funny, I will say. Just yeah. how much of a uh, fuck up that is, yeah. I feel like the, the the classic the classic example that's always on screenshots on top of news headlines whenever you see this is that in the 16 by 9 shot, there's a scene where... 
Homer gets a tour of a brewery and they're like, this is Duff and this is Duff Light and this is Duff Premium and it's three vats. But in the four by three shot, what was cut off was the fact that they're all coming from the same tap. Same pipe, right, yeah. Yeah. Um, which maybe isn't necessarily interesting to hear about on an audio medium, but the news here is that they're going to fix it by the end of May. Right, because they've been saying but, they'll fix it for ages, and people have been yeah. waiting. Yeah, they said they're, they're looking for they're, they're, they're looking to accomplish making the change by the end of May, which begs the question: like, what's what's what would take so long about that? Just download the old ones, upload yeah, the new I ones, problem solved. Yeah, who knows? Um, Tarantino hints at the fact that he might be working on a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood novel. He's released his screenplays in book form in the past. Right. Well, stick to your lane, mate. He's been hinting towards uh, a potential novelization. Uh, maybe, maybe as part of the fact that he's been planning on sort of slowing down his whole writing, directing kind of career after he reaches 10 movies. I don't um, know if I think that he would be very good at that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe, but um, like, is the writing the strong point in his films? I suppose... In some ways it is, but I feel like the well, I ha- <laughs> overarching narrative flow is better. Yeah, like, I don't know. Maybe he's more like a visual I think he's a really good of, visual yeah. storyteller. I would be interested. Like, I've been reading Bob on and off again for the last two fucking years. I'm not much of a reader, but on and off again for the last couple of years, I've been reading Bob Dylan's Learning autobiography. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's, it's fun to dip in and out of because it, it's several short chapters and they jump between several different aspects of his life so you can sort of read a chapter and put it down for a bit um and one of the most interesting bits about it is the way that he writes prose and it's really good and i've never heard him i've never read his prose before it's usually song lyrics obviously right um in a similar kind of way i feel like maybe a lot of directors or writers or whatever when they write their screenplay like the stage directions and the the, the like the non-speaking parts of the d- script are often really interestingly written and really poetically written, and it always strikes me as like, oh, who's he writing this for? J- like just the actor. Mm. This is so nicely written, the little yeah, stage yeah, directions yeah. and things. Um, maybe it's maybe he's one of those guys. Maybe his script. It's are, also for the. It's for the. Uh, I'll I'll tell you. It's for the DP so that they can understand the tone that the shot is aiming to achieve, as well as like the yeah. the dialogue. Uh, well, yeah, so there you go. Maybe he's one of those guys. I've never read one of his scripts before, but maybe maybe he's one of those dudes. Mm. Yeah, um, maybe. End on a cool note, I thought. I'm sort of, sort of getting towards the end, of my, uh, the end of my news here. The director of Shazam, who has previously um, made a name for himself before that Zachary Levi Shazam superhero movie, doing horror stuff, and I think he, he really sort of got famous doing short horror movies on YouTube. Right. Um and I think he got his first big major motion picture as like a um, an extension of one of the horror shorts he's done. Um, has released a new horror short film on his YouTube channel uh, that's like eight minutes long, all shot okay. in his house starring his wife because his wife's an actress. Right. I suppose because they're all in lockdown with all the corona and things. Yeah, I'd say that might be why it is. <laughs> I, th- yeah, I thought it was really cool to have someone like a, like a filmmaker... Well known for horror stuff, churning out like a new horror movie at Doing home. Something in his house, yeah. And it's got these really cool, interesting little like l- effects that you could sort of see where some of them might be able to be done on a bit of a low, a lower kind low of budget, budget or maybe yeah, by okay. one dude with three weeks on his hands. Like it's about yeah. <laughs> a lady who starts seeing shadows on her wall for things that aren't actually there, right? And the more she interacts with them, the more they sort of populate throughout the house and. 
It's kind of spooky. It's really cool. Um, it's called Shadowed. Uh, the dude's name is David F. Sandberg, and he's got a whole bunch of little horror shorts on his on his YouTube channel if you look him up. But uh, okay. yeah, a fun, wholesome little 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 story about people creating whilst home alone. Yeah, isn't that nice? That's neat. Uh, and also, there's apparently a new Tiger King episode coming out. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah. According to one of the people in the docuseries, a new episode might be arriving on Netflix as soon as next week. Wow, that's pretty cool. It. Um, I also heard that the Joe Exotic has been placed in quarantine, uh, possibly <laughs> with coronavirus. So people were like... Fuck! This is this is all happening so fast. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe this is a good time. So that's the end of the news. Maybe this is a good time to launch into the next segment. We're doing a bit yeah. of beefness or pleasure. We've had a sure. bit of time time on our hands this week, uh, catching up on a whole bunch of bullshit on Netflix. Andrew, you said you've been watching as part of your pleasure rather than the very serious beefness that we're going to mm. get onto later. You've been mm. watching Tiger King. I did. I watched the whole thing. No, I haven't gone in on Tiger King at all yet. So I appreciate right. if you didn't spoil it, but I feel like sure. I don't know. I imagine maybe a lot of listeners is probably in the same boat. Right? I sort of couldn't give a fuck, but I, I, I do want to watch it at some point. So I'm happy to be convinced. Yeah, it's one of those things. I feel like it's got a similar kind of um, level of attention as Bird Box. It's like you can't really log onto Twitter or see like a Twitter thread without someone kind of mentioning it or making a meme about it or a joke about it or whatever. Well, but yeah, then- it almost feels like there's a whole bunch of memes that are almost spoilers at this point. So I think I've almost missed it. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. It would be pretty hard to have it spoiled because like there's no. It's a complex enough documentary that I don't think you can really have it spoiled for you. Yeah, um, right. So, I mean, there's probably been some allusions to, like, main complications that happen in the plot, but not really, like, spoilers. Like, it's hard to get the resolutions to those. Yeah. So, so okay, jumping back, what is Tiger King? So, Tiger King is a Netflix documentary series, which I suppose it yeah. occurred to me is, like... Not not a super common thing that people think about. You sort of think about documentaries, or at least I do. I think about documentaries being like movies usually. Yeah, um, I suppose But so. I guess they kind of like uh, already forayed into this with um, Making a Murderer, which came out a few years ago now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this is about... Uh, it predominantly focuses on a private zoo owner in the States, uh, in America, in... Um, and is that this Joe Exotic guy? Yeah, in the South, in the States. And yeah. um, it focuses on the rivalry between Joe Exotic, who is a yeah a zookeeper that keeps big cats, and <laughs> so tigers, all sorts of different ones, tigers. The, the, the most shocking thing that you'll ever learn, in my opinion, in the entire series is comes right at the start, and it's that yeah. there are between six and 10,000... Uh, so it's completely uh, as long as you go through official channels, it's completely legal in the states to have a uh, to keep a a big cat. Like yeah, in, right. in a lot of states, you can have a tiger. Um, so it's about the zoo, or it's specifically about this dude's pet tiger, or what? Both. So he has like two hundred and twenty tigers, and hey. the, the most shocking thing is that in captivity there are in the states alone. I think there are something like six to ten thousand tigers. That's and insane. <laughs> in the in the wild, there are about four thousand, if I'm recalling those numbers correctly. But the number yeah, right. the numbers in captivity are much much higher than numbers in the wild, which is that's crazy, absolutely horrible to learn. So it sort of focuses on uh, this Joe Exotic character who is a zookeeper, 
Um, he runs this private zoo, the Greater Winwood Exotic Animal Park down in... Um, uh, Winwood in South Carolina. <laughs> Oklahoma, I think it is. And uh, it focuses on him as a really eccentric figure. So he's like right. this mullet-toting, gay, flamboyant dude um, who uh, is like a, a red-toting, uh, gun-toting... A stereotypical redneck kind of guy. Yeah, from the South. Yeah, right. So he's kind of one side of things. And then the other side of things is this uh, big cat conservationist um, called Carol Baskin, who owns this place called Big Cat Rescue. And they do, like, rescue work to try and um, uh, uh, protect and rehabilitate, I suppose, um, big cats. But because it's kind of impossible to release them into the wild, I, I guess her main goal is, like, just giving abused cats a place to come and live the rest of their life comfortably, I suppose, which is pretty admirable. Yeah, right. And so, like, the the interesting... So, why is it interesting? Um, because you find out at the start that Joe Exotic is in prison currently. Right. And, okay. and so, it sort of starts at the end, or at least starts at the current, and then goes back to, like, right, so how did we get here? Because this all happened in sort of the past four years or so. Um, right. Maybe, like, five or six years. Um, right. And you sort of find out how Joe got started and how um, he ended up coming to own... Like, how does one come to own 270 tigers? What is the... Or 220. What is the legislative state in the United States that kind of lets this happen? And then one of the things that Carol Baskin is really passionate about is stopping breeding, right? Because if one of the things that is really bad here is that you can breed tigers in captivity and then sell the cubs for thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, yeah, like right. a tiger cub. It's actually shockingly cheap to buy a tiger. It's like three or $5,000 or something. You can get one. I suppose um, that is cheap, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, if you just save up for a little while, you could just buy a tiger. And of course, like they, they, they then cost $70,000 a year to feed because they eat so much. Um, <laughs> and so like no one thinks about that. So you get a lot of people like buying them and then being like, oh, someone please take this thing away from me. What a stupid decision. Um, <laughs> which is just crazy that it happens that much. But So all, those are all like interesting incidental so it- things to the actual storyline itself. But the main storyline is that... Um, Joe Exotic went to prison for allegedly hiring someone to kill Carol Baskin, this big cat conservationist. And it sort of starts off introducing you to each character and then... And that's not a spoiler? That's that's No, this is like in the first episode. Yeah. Um, And uh, it goes through figuring out how they both came to be where they are, how their rivalry got started, who else has been involved in the whole thing. And actually, like, it turns out, obviously, in true documentary style, that, like, things are a lot more complicated than they kind of seem. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's really interesting. One of the mo- more interesting things, and I, I started to tell you about this before we started recording, but I'll just quickly say it again. One of the most interesting things about this, I feel like a lot of the most... People who have watched documentaries before, you know, a lot of it is, like, you might have some moments on film or, like, some moments that are evidence. Sometimes uh, the documentary cast or crew will do, like, hidden camera stuff to try and get certain moments on film. Yeah. Uh, but then a lot of it is filled in with interview. Um, where people are just giving their testimonials about what happened or what they thought or what they experienced or whatever. And ideally, you would have footage of that, but a lot of the time, these moments aren't captured on film. But what's really interesting about Tiger King is um, 
the people involved are either so paranoid or so eccentric or so cautious that um, almost everything was on film all the time. They just carried cameras around. Like, for instance, Joe... Uh, did this TV show and then ended up having this... He did this, like, web series or web show every day. And then he ended up having um, someone come and make a reality TV series about him making that show. And so, like, (laughs) that reality TV... So, there's all this real shit, like, on on camera. They would, like, wake up in the morning and just roll the camera and they would just have footage of the whole day... Everything is on camera, and then well, that kind of reminds me of the fire festival documentary. Those dudes, right? Yeah, those dudes were like I filming everything. It, but, but you were saying, yeah, right. Um, so it sort of seems quite similar, I guess. Um, and then, yeah. So that, I, I think that's one of the most interesting things. And there, are, there's stuff on camera where you're like, Jesus Christ, like, why, why would you be filming that? Why would you film that? It's so yeah. stupid. Like it's clearly just incriminating <laughs> yourself. And it's not like that. It's not even like, it's like they never say, you know how normally if something starts to happen, someone would be like, cut the fucking camera off. It's like no one ever yeah. says that. So they just <laughs> keep rolling through whatever happens. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah right. It, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, so uh, does, maybe I will go in. Does, yeah, that, I think you cool. should. It's, it's one of the more interesting documentaries I've had. Um, uh, the documentary about O.J. Simpson made in America on my shelf for ages, and this really rekindled my interest in going in on some like good documentaries. Um, well, th- we talked off air. One of the best true crime documentaries I think that has ever been made. I'm, c- is, I'm sure we've talked about it on the podcast. Before. Is the Jinx? Yeah. The only disadvantage it was an HBO one, so you. Uh, can't... It's on YouTube for free. Is it? Yeah, I, I watched it on YouTube. Yep. It's like four it's in parts. Like, it's in like four eighty p. Yeah, but it's on there. Oh wow! Like like not like not legitly. <laughs> no 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 no. But you yeah, can watch okay. it. It hasn't been taken down yet, as far oh, as it's I know. So good. That's about a um, uh, like an American millionaire or billionaire Robert that's Durst? under investigation for the disappearance of people or for also. But it, but it, it's one of those one of those um, Fred Durst, I think. Robert Durst. Yeah. Robert Durst. Yeah. Um, Fred Who's Durst Fred is the Durst? dude from Limp Biscuit. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, Again, what the very fuck? Very nice. Yeah, I was just like, how do you know that? You don't like Limp Bizkit. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yes, he is. All right. Um, I haven't really done much in the, in the way of watching TV or movies uh, outside of the pod this week. Yeah. Um, the only things I have been doing are playing shitloads of Stardew Valley. Yeah, I saw that. It's like a farm simulator game. <laughs> it's the best. Um, Oh god, it's so it's good. good. I think it's better than uh, Animal Crossing. Yeah, I think so too. We're gonna okay. Let's talk about games for like a minute. So, um, for those of you who don't know, if you if you're on Twitter, what isn't being talked about? Um, <clears throat> when when people aren't talking about Tiger King, they're talking about Animal Crossing. Right? Those are like the two things that are that are being talked about at the moment. Animal Crossing is like a yeah farming style game. Um, it's been a highly anticipated release for the Nintendo Switch. And you well, basically, you just, it's very slow and you do very little. You move right? to a like, desert <laughs> island and you move there with like this dude who sets up this holiday retreat for you. And the idea is to like basically colonize this island, I suppose. Uh, it's uninhabited. It's completely deserted. So nice. But um, yeah. And so you just like, it's basically meant to be pure escapism. It's very cartoony, very cute, very sweet. Um, yeah. Yeah, people there's, got really There's no angry. like survival aspect to no, it. No, it's impossible it's to impossible to die. There's no threat. Um, it's picking it, fruit and talking to your friends and shit like that. It's like a cross between. Um, it's like a cross between uh, the Farmville and, and The Sims. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, because yeah, I feel like already, if you describe it like that, one breed of person is going to be like, "Oh, what the fuck? Who would play that?" Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. other type, the other type is like, "Oh, fuck." That yeah. sounds like Where my perfect game. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. Um, and I think it's really popular with a lot of people that don't normally play games. Um, I've heard from multiple people that their partners who don't normally play games are really uh, into this one. Are really into it. Yeah, for sure. It's very easy to just pick up and play. It, the, it's got an art style that I don't really love, um, but it's very endearing. It's a very cutesy Nintendo-y right, yeah. fucking art style. It looks like you're playing like a game for children. <laughs> yeah, but the um, the cool thing about it, I think, is that... So, there's two things that I really like doing. You can uh, catch insects and you can fish. Um, and then when you, as soon as you catch a species that you haven't caught before, you can run and give it to this owl who runs the museum on the island. And then it's in, uh, then whatever species you've caught actually show up in a really, like a three-dimensional museum that you can go and walk around in, um, with a plaque for every single animal. And then it has like a fully rendered, realistic looking 3D model of the animal, just like swimming or like crawling on a stick or whatever. Um, and it's quite beautifully presented. So my goal cool. is like, I want to try and get the museum completed. I couldn't really give a shit about, you can also like fully design your house. And there's like, there must be tens of thousands of objects that you can get. Like um, furniture and yeah, costumes like an and all sorts of shit. range of furniture. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I've seen, this is like a thing where you can, you can create your own custom artwork for the walls. Yeah. You can and basically you draw QR any code. pattern that you want. Yeah. So people have been drawing all sorts of memes and shit. And sharing the QR codes, yeah, so you yeah, can put yeah. memes on your wall. Yeah, the first thing <laughs> I did was make a T-shirt that was a political compass of like libertarian left, authoritarian right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah um, right. So that's yeah. a game that I know I'm and I'm going to end up buying, but I know I hate it because I, I played the previous ones and I hated it and I traded it in. It was boring. I think it's but the every best single podcast I listen to and every single person it, yeah. I follow, it's, it's just talking about it nonstop. Yeah, and I'm just gonna. It's it's just it's gonna like. I'm going to gaslight myself into thinking I like Animal Crossing. I enjoyed it more than I expected to, um, but I had never played one before, and I feel like uh, I could very much understand if you were like, yeah, I think you'd probably put like three or four hours into it and then be like, ugh, whatever. Yeah, I wish... I I don't think it's going to be worth your money. No, I played it. I played the previous one on DS and hated it. If I get Um, bored of it, I'll lend it to you or sell it to you or something. (laughs) So I can hate it. Yeah. Great. Um, no, uh, just going through so just my, been doing lots uh, of that. you've been playing, you've been playing heaps of video. I've also been playing heaps of video. I've been yeah, going ham on the, um, the Witcher three. So this is that really game. good because like a lot of, um, Fucking rocks. yeah, a lot of, uh, this is going to be the case shit. for people with movies as well. You might, if you really love movies, you've probably got a backlog of movies that you've like intended to watch for a pretty long time, but have never really gotten around to. Um, games are like that too. You buy games and they take a lot longer to play. So I feel like it's obviously a worse problem for people who play games, but like, (laughs) this is a really good opportunity because all the new stuff is getting delayed for you to go back through stuff that you own that you never really got around to. And so I've been doing that heaps. Yeah. I find a lot of people we listen to podcasts of saying they have heaps more time than normally do. But I think that that's because they're norm- they're creative types. Well, they've, they've probably lost their jobs, <laughs> and they've lost their jobs maybe, yeah. and so they're out of work completely. Yeah. Whereas I still have a nine to five job. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I I'm don't really go moment. out that much anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, you go to so a lot like, of like live gigs and shit. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. But it's like, oh, I have one or two more evenings a week. Yeah. And so people are talking about like, oh, I'm completing all these video games. Like, oh, I really don't have that much more time. No, like, I think <laughs> if you've got a nine to five that you're keeping up, then you probably haven't noticed much of a change other no, than like exactly. not being able to go to shit. But yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm on leave at the moment. I have been for a few weeks. Um, 
that's the reason I've had time, but I'll shortly be in your situation as well. Yeah, right. One thing I have noticed recently is that the TV show Community um, is on Netflix now. Oh, yeah. And I, I feel like that's maybe a show that a lot of people slapped on because it hasn't been on streaming services in Australia for a little bit. If you're looking for a new comedy, Community is a really smart, really funny comedy. Yeah. It's so... Have you seen it, dude? Yeah, I watched like the first season with you. Yeah, right. Well, so there's, there's about three or four or five. There's there's heaps of it. And I think one of the seasons, the main creative was fired from the show and that one's crap. But there's there's heaps of really solid seasons. Donald Glover is in it and he quit to go and be Childish Gambino. Yeah. But, um, I'll say this. Oh. I, I loved the first two seasons when I watched yeah. them at the, t- at the time, but I couldn't mm. say whether or not like it holds up. Well, I, th- I, th- I think it does. I, I go back in on like clips of it on YouTube and shit every now and then. But one mm. thing I do remember about Community is I feel like with a lot of shows, like you have to give it a few episodes to really sort of warm to its sense of humor. Yeah. And it makes it hard to sort of get into a new comedy. I feel like this is a show where like the pilot, the first episode is so funny straight off the bat. Hooks you in, yeah. And it's the same guy that writes... Uh, that wrote Rick and Morty. It's a completely different style of humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. the same guy that did uh, Dan Harmon, the same like main creative lead behind Rick and Morty. So it's In that same sort of smart, silly. Yeah, yeah. Well, you- I feel like maybe Rick, the Rick and Morty fan base g- gives gives that show like a shit rap online. Yeah. But all I mean is that like Rick and Morty, I feel like is smart and funny. Um, I think and it's also silly and a he weird applies a, a similar like the thing I've heard Dan Harmon's style distilled down into is that he takes absurdist ideas and uh, pushes them to their limit, but he treats them very seriously, even though yeah. they're absurd. <laughs> and in Rick and Morty, yeah. that's like a mad scientist sci-fi setting with yeah. his dragging his nephew along, right? But in Community, that's like. It's still true, but it's just in a community college setting, so a lot of the ideas are a lot more, like, grounded in reality. Yeah. Um, But it's still, like, ridiculous humor that he does pretty well. The way they write uh, Donald Glover's character out of the show is by having him sign up to... Uh, Spoiler alerts, by the way. (laughs) Oh, fuck it. It's a 10-year-old show. No, fuck it. Um it, it's a uh, it, it's this whole storyline where he signs up for air conditioning repair school, but it's like this weird religious cult, right? Well, <laughs> where like you have to get into engineering, air conditioning repair by like being initiated by John Goodman into like the the brotherhood of the fucking. It's good shit, Jesus, and it's worth watching. I figured it was worth mentioning because people are stuck at home with looking for shit to watch. Going on that, I feel like uh, I I don't know a lot of people. Uh, actually, I know a fair few. Um, <laughs> oh, fair few people. Uh, I feel like I, I haven't yet witnessed the um, uh, a lot of my friends like really struggling and losing their jobs yet. Um, but no. I feel like yeah, I, as soon as I said that, I was like, oh no, a couple. And then I was like, okay, yeah, well, it's probably coming for for some people. Well, so I feel yeah. like I, f- I feel like it's it, it it it's really rough for students and people that rely on casual yeah, work and hospital work. Yeah. And then we also. I suppose listen to a lot of podcasts and things with like creative types, and it's hard. Yeah, for them comedians as well. are fucking <laughs> out of work. Yeah, yeah, it's like months and months of income as part of the Melbourne Comedy Festival and the Edinburgh Comedy Festival and all that sort of shit. That's yeah. all just been cancelled. Crazy. Yeah, it's like I've heard a lot about like e- even in entertainment all the time you have like big peaks and big troughs, and like yeah. you have to learn to manage your finances really responsibly so that you're kind of like h- hoarding wealth during the 
peaks and then like not spending anything during or like you can, you've got enough to last you during the trough yeah. and they've just lost heaps of peaks in a row. <laughs> I don't remember really what the stat is, but I listened to Will Anderson's podcast and I have for ages and yep. he said at one point that the Melbourne Comedy Festival represents something insane like a quarter of his yearly income. Right. Okay. That's actually lower than I would have thought. But yeah. Or, or heaps. I, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm downplaying it because I yeah, don't Imagine taking a 25% pay cut that you didn't see coming. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, pretty, some, is, pretty some absurd amount. That's still, that's still crazy. Yeah. Should we launch out of this bummer section of the yeah, show yeah, and yeah, straight yeah. into um, yeah, Eternal definitely. Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? Well, I was just going to say, I, if you, um, this is an interesting conversation. Um, let us know <laughs> what you if you've got a backlog and you're working through it, what you're doing. doesn't matter if it's games, it can be games, whatever. Get in the Facebook group, yeah. Beef Station Beef Posting, and I'd love to have a have a chat with all the viewers of, of what the what the backlog. What backlog are you through working it. through? Could I, be music. I bought the um, the Halo Master Chief Collection on Steam the other day. I'm, I'm fully regressing to try and like feel comfortable again. <laughs> so I'm like playing original Halo graphics multiplayer from like 2004. Oh, you, you can you can change the graphics back. Yeah, can you? In you can in the campaign you can toggle the tab button on the keyboard toggles between old and new textures. That's like, always immediately. cool. Every single remaster it's should so do that. It's so sick. I I know it should be yeah, uh, if they're doing a remake, I get why they can't, but if it's a remaster, it should be mandatory. But in the <laughs> multiplayer it's only old graphics and it's e- it's even it's not just graphics, it's like the weapons are all the old stuff, the net code is bad, like it's really hard to get used to. <laughs> Um, because you you can play you can like set up a playlist so that you you say like yeah I want maps from like Halo Reach which is one of the later Halos and I also want maps from like the original Halo and anyone you're just loaded in to it picks a random like server so you might be playing Halo Combat Evolved the first one you might be playing a recent Halo or whatever so that's pretty cool yeah, I've been right. going through The Witcher three. That um, game which is fucking like, rocks. Yeah, we talked about this, and I agree with what you're saying, that that should be one of the most expensive video games ever made. Dude, But that it's game like $16. On, <laughs> yeah, on PlayStation at the moment, it's on sale for, I think, like $16. Yeah, I got it. All I bought the expansion it on passes PS4 and everything. for $17, just in case I wanted to play it again on PS4 instead of on PC. <laughs> that game should be $200. Yeah, it's got like, I there's 200 hours in that. there for sure. It's 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 obscene how much how much there is in there, yeah. yeah. And then they also just released like free costumes and shit, like in like ten separate little installments of yeah, mini deals. Yeah, it's yeah. like you don't have to. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's got to be one of the best selling video games of all time, though, right? And then the, I, I would hope so. And then the DLC, the Blood and Wine. The, no, we're getting to it in the weeds. Yeah, the yeah, DLC yeah. is also good and true. They released like two extra games for like ten dollars each. That are yeah, like full, that like plug into it. Full other games, which are, yeah. which are crazy. Yeah. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Right. It's a 2004 <laughs> romance drama sci-fi. Let, let us know about your backlogs. That's that's just what I wanted to I wanted to hear about. Yeah. So let hear us know what you're doing with all your all your newfound free time or your <laughs> not newfound free time. Yeah. Anyway, yes. Eternal um, Sunshine movie. of the Spotless Mind. Rome, I've heard it built as a rom-com. I don't think. I suppose it's a. I don't know. It's a, whatever. It's a rom-com with like a weird sci-fi twist to it. Um. Came out I, I think that's because the calm is pretty weak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't think it's really trying to be that funny, though. I, I feel like it's funny in the same way as, like, any drama has funny bits in it. Yeah. Let's get... Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. Uh, I won't step on your intro with details. Oh. Episode 79, baby. We did it. <laughs> yeah. We got there. <laughs> uh, it starts Jim Carrey as a shy, um, sort of withdrawn dork. 30-something-year-old dork. Nerd. 
man kind of guy. I don't know. I wouldn't say he's a whatever. He's like a withdrawn, shy kind of guy who's always writing in his journal. Um, uh, you do. Uh, I feel like you don't want to. You don't want. We don't want to step too far into like the the twist of the movie just yet. Yeah. But it's um. It basically focuses on the relationship between him and Kate Winslet. He meets character. Kate Winslet, uh, who I can't remember. Oh, Clementine. Um, yeah, right. And um, sort of immediately just falls in love with this. And they start, yeah, yeah and they start seeing each other or whatever. Yeah. Um, Kate Winslet plays this very abrasive, impulsive, um, manic pixie dream girl kind of woman. Yeah, I watched a whole video essay today about why that's not a fair label for her character, <laughs> right? Um, which we can get into later, but. Um, yeah, like like a very a very impulsive, I, I think she's abrasive to, kind of character. She's she's being a play on that character, but she's presented it initially as like th- as that. It's a bit of a bait and switch for that. I suppose so. Yeah. Um, I don't know how far we can get into it uh, without spoiling the the premise of the movie because I feel like this is one of those movies where the premise is probably very widely publicized. Yeah. But if you don't know. It's a really fun discovery. So I wanted to ask because I saw I, I'd already seen this and I rewatched it for this episode. And yeah. I rem- I remembered having liking it, having liked it the first time I watched it. What did you think straight away? Because I don't, I have we haven't spoken about it much. What was my I opinion be- of the movie as a whole? Yeah, I could believe that you hated it or loved it or I don't know. I have no idea how you would have felt about yeah, it. Yeah, I hated this movie. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I uh, I feel like I didn't buy into the core. The core thing that you need to buy into in this movie, which is that you also fall in love with Kate Winslet's character, um, or at least uh, that you can understand why. Yeah, he you does. Have to, as as the movie develops and their relationship uh, develops on screen, yeah, um, you're supposed to sort of understand more and more about why it is that he falls in love with her. Right, but she was such an unlikable asshole that I found myself <laughs> even unable to understand empathetically why he might love her or be attracted to her or uh, be at all interested in pursuing anything, and it never won me over. At the, uh, I've got a note here. At the, I, I'm eight minutes in, and this woman is infuriating. I'm not enamored or captivated by her or curious at all. Yeah, and I don't think that did yeah. not change, despite the rest of the movie is delving into their relationship because I well, feel I, like it didn't actually develop her character much at all. I think that one of the most interesting parts about the movie we can get into later is that I don't think they are very good for each other. No, they're not. And that's that's the whole point of the movie. The well, whole point is that they're not, not very they're not good for each other. I think it's and not it's the supposed whole to become point. apparent. Well, it's yeah. Well, we can get into it. We can get into it later. I feel like yeah. you can't talk about this movie very much without spoiling it. So it's spo- a bit I'm going to have yeah. to spoil the bit at some point. Yeah. Um, but also, it came out in let's 2004. Let's just do it. Let's, let's get. We're not going. We're not going to spoil it. But we're going to spoil the premise for the movie, which I think is a fun discovery to go on if you don't know about sure. it. Sure. So if you want to go into it cold, probably like first 20, 20 minutes or so. Yeah. So the idea is uh, the first time you see Joel, which is Jim Carrey's Jim, Jim Carrey's character, and Clementine on screen, they're meeting on a train. And Clem is very enthusiastic in talking to Jim Carrey's character and is constantly talking to him and very keen to get to know this guy she's just met on the train. He it's sort kind of, of going eyes like, her a couple of times and she catches yeah. his eye and he looks back down, but she notices him looking at him and she decides to like come up and start talking to him. Yeah. Um, and the movie cuts back and forward in time and you pretty soon work out that these two people have already met in the past. Yep. And have then gone to this sci-fi because it's set in the modern day. They've gone to this sci-fi type 
uh, surgery where you can have your memories Wait, erased. He, f- he finds out that she has gone to that clinic and she's had his memory... Uh, she's had her memory of him completely wiped. As a way of like breaking up with him. Right. And didn't, and then he, didn't tell yeah. him at all or whatever. Yeah, No. And a big part of the movie is uh, we see Jim Carrey getting his memory erased and it yeah. goes through like him lucid dreaming almost through his own memories of her as it wipes all the memories of her out of his mind because he's like well if you've if erased me then I'm going to erase you and so that's the whole premise for the movie yeah. and then the way we're talking about watching their relationship develop is they sort of find out this about each other quite early in the movie and it flashes back in time and shows you their whole relationship developing again as the doctor is like scrolling through all the memories while Jim Carrey's asleep right. and is deleting them all. Right. And the more that Jim Carrey is forced to watch his own memories going by, the more he sort of thinks about his own relationship and what he lost and what the breakup means to him and all that sort of thing. So that's the kind of premise of the movie. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on. I, I, it's a shame. I think it's a shame you hated it. I, I kind of liked it. Yeah, I, I understand... Um why I think I understand why people might like this movie and maybe at the time because it, it came out yeah. like 16 years ago now yeah I feel like it it like to, to illustrate that like there's a line there's a gay panic line in this movie that's how um uh, like not modern it is I don't remember that line at all is there yeah I'll we, yeah it comes later um okay fine and the context um, is a bit of a spoiler, but yeah. Um, the <laughs> yeah, right. but like that. That's I feel like that's illustrative of like about where it's at. I feel like it sits right in there with like the Love Actuallys and like the early two thousands romance movies. I but so. this is playing off those with another level of like, what if you were forced to examine that the development of that relationship from a very different perspective than just watching two people get to know each other and fall in love. Yeah, yeah, I really like the way that they. So, so it's it's basically when you were talking about how uh, Clementine isn't very good for Jim Carrey's character, Jim Carrey's character Joel, or how she's annoying. I think that maybe the reason why they end up breaking up is because she's so abrasive and so annoying and so impulsive and is kind of selfish. Yeah, she's um, not kind of selfish. She's like. Uh, She's just a horrible person. Well, he's also weird and passive aggressive and doesn't really like voice any of his own problems. They're they're both they're both not very good for each other, I don't think. Like they're they're, they're not, not very compatible. Y- but yeah. you have these you have these brief flashes of like in every, in every shitty relationship you might have like one or two happy memories and you get to see those and you get to sort of see how Jim Carrey treasures the happy memories in the relationship. Uh, and reflects on whether it's worth deleting everything from his mind just for the sake of most of the memories being bitter when you get a couple little happy memories in there. But yeah, I, I, I just think feel that's... like when you look at the net of all of that, it's like, well, it's not worth it. She's so, she's so, so selfish and so unlikable. Like, let me provide an example of why <laughs> I didn't buy into this movie. Yeah, um, sure, good. At one point, she drunk drives his car home at three in the morning. She ends up uh, and uh, ends up um like scraping it against something really badly, and then picks a fight with him about doing that. And by the end of that conversation, he is apologizing to her for yeah. being mean. Like. 
It's, yeah, I it's don't like think when you when you stop and just look at the context of each scene, it was I found their relationship to be so off-putting and so she's such a manipulative like gaslighting shithead that I yeah, just no. had no interest in them being together, and it meant that when he was pursuing it, I was frustrated. I think the relationship is less interesting. I think um, getting more into the the later the latter half of the movie then. Um, I, I, I'm uh, the shit I want to talk about is oh fuck it we're spoiling the movie this is it um, okay. I think that you're not supposed to be as invested in the relationship itself as you're supposed to be invested in his memories of the relationship because I feel like sometimes you can have a relationship and you break up and or like you can get into a relationship maybe where you think it's not going to work out long term or you know it's just going to be a short term thing and part of your brain is like well if I'm not going to end up marrying and have having kids with this person is there any point to it even happening at all you know, like, if you can see that a relationship is doomed from the outset, is there any point to it of even having happened? And then if you can sit there at the end of the relationship and say, like, oh, I can see several warning signs that sh- I should have seen that that was doomed f- from the outset, would you go back in time and just wish it never happened? Yeah. And I feel like maybe the whole point of the relationship is you're not supposed to wish that they got together and it was happy. You're supposed to recognize that even though it was a shitty relationship, it had value for their like emotional development yeah i mean I, I i suppose i i could buy that premise and i think like at, at its core i found like the movie had something it was like a pretty tantalizing idea um yeah and I, i've like been in a relationship that i wish that i could sort of um at least selectively remove elements of because it felt like um you i i would I've been in a situation where I can understand wanting a fresh start with someone um, because it feels like the yeah. relationship is too damaged and broken to redeem it, but you're too invested in it to walk away from it. Yeah. Um, or maybe like a relationship that went for a year and you're like, man, if that would, if that had only been three months. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, different, different situations, but a sort of similar thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but then the, it, it just takes one step further and like gives the relationship another chance and that's just what I don't buy into. You mean at the very ending? Well, uh, I think that's, that's a tragedy at the end. Just, it's not just the it's not just the ending. It's the it's the philosophy behind the pursuit of the thing, like not wanting to forget this person, not wanting to leave them behind. I can kind of understand that, but it's not about. Um, that seems to be the, the value. There is in, as you say, like the emotional development, and I guess the positive memories. But if you only selectively yeah. erase the positive, the the negative memories, you're not you don't have a, an accurate reflection a of what the whole relationship the person, was like. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and so you, it's impossible to separate those two things out in in reality. Well, I think that's is, sort of what it's going for. Is it's trying to say, well, look, if you, if you have an all or nothing approach, if you can have all of the memories or none of them, it's arguing that it's better to have. It's better to have loved and lost. It's better, it's better to live with your mistakes and have the have the happy memories and the sad memories than to than to have none of them and be doomed to repeat those same mistakes. Yeah, I could buy that if if there was some sort of like balance to the value of the good and the bad aspects of the relationship. But I, I suppose with what I was presented on screen, um, I felt like. Uh, Jim Carrey's character was almost responsible for his own suffering with how much he was willing yeah. to let this person in. And that just made me 
hate that he was doing it. And it, yeah. not, in, not in a way that I felt like the movie was going for that. I felt like the movie was trying to argue that it was a good thing that he was getting back with her. And oh, no, I, I definitely didn't feel that. I felt like a kind of... Like it was kind of a tragedy at the ending. At the end, when they've both forgotten about each other, and they both forgot that they were ever in a relationship with each other, yeah. and they meet again on the train, which is the shot you see at the beginning. Yeah, and then they get back into a relationship again. I feel like you're kind of exasperated by it. You're like, "Well, fuck! We've just seen this whole movie, and we've seen them like very logically break down what they hate about each other and why they hated the relationship they're in, and then right. they're back in it again." I, I can't tell you why, but I found that extremely unsatisfying, and not in a way because yeah. I like I like ambiguity in films, and I like uh, I like moral ambiguity. I like the storyline um, being ambiguous. I don't mind when a movie doesn't give you all the information, or it's not a happy ending. That it's something that yeah. you know, it's very mixed. I actually enjoy that most of the time, but for some reason. Um, this one just sat so poorly with me, and I think it's. Uh, I, if I had to put my finger on it, it's. Uh, I just keep coming back to how dislikable Kate Winslet's character is in this. I had no interest in anybody spending time with her. I just wanted her out of my consciousness. That's fair. I, f- I feel like maybe both characters are pretty dislikable, though. Jim Carrey's kind of whiny and insufferable in his own little way. I didn't think he was like... whiny and insufferable. I felt like he had valid points a lot of the time, and yeah. she'd just step on him. I don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't. And uh, even if even if that is the case, I felt like it was not symmetrical. Yeah. What did you think of the subplot of this movie? So the the other. So a lot of it is us seeing Clem and Joel's relationship and the way it develops and the way they fall in and out of love and all the sort of twists and turns. And there's a lot of really fun dream like kind of shots and uh, constructions in the movie. I think the way that it was constructed is the best thing about the movie. It's re- it's really interesting. Like there are bits where um, I, I realized I trailed off a question, but I'm getting excited about talking about this now. Yeah, sure. um, there there are bits, for example, where Jim Carrey will be walking through an old childhood memory, and he might see a woman from his memory, and that yeah. woman will sort of turn into Kate Winslet, and they'll be having a relationship. They'll be having a conversation there, or there'll be um, there'll be sequences where she just disappears from the memory com- completely and reappears somewhere else. And apparently mm. a lot of those were done practically. They built sets with secret doors and things between walls. Right. So that the camera could sort of rubber band away for a moment and Kate was, it would disappear and run around and get into a position somewhere else. Right. And then she'd pop up there. Interesting. Um, and Michelle Gondry said it was a, a really, An a more exciting nightmare. and visceral, visceral, <laughs> right. a more exciting and visceral way of shooting the scenes for the actors rather than acting on blue screen and not really knowing and not really being able to properly sort of put yourself in the in the scene as much. Yeah, that's um, cool. I feel yeah. like as well. Th- yeah. Th- so it does. That those are the really strong points in, especially the the cinematography of it. Um, yeah. I think it's quite. Uh, the the special effects in the movie have not aged very well at all. Like there's scenes where um, they're running through. Um, Grand Central Station or Grand something. Grand Central Station and like people are blinking out and you can clearly see like the the the, the people like, been, like shrinking down whatever, yeah. to a central <laughs> point and then like I didn't, disappearing. I didn't um, I, I wasn't looking for that as much. My favorite shot of the whole well, my favorite sequence of the whole movie is um it's going back further and further in time and you get to see the and he's been like uh, he can, it's, he's sort of a lucid dreaming kind of thing. So he gets to sort of watch the memory back as he's asleep and they're erasing his memory. Yeah. And he'll be sort of he'll sort of realize that they're erasing it in the memory and then try and interact with the memory and try and change things and try and run away from the the memory being deleted. Right. 
There's a and yeah, I guess that's like probably 20 25 minutes that it's doing that for. It's like a good chunk, a good Quite third a while, of the movie, yeah. yeah. Um but then there's a certain point where he sort of just gives up and you're just watching his memories go by. Yeah. And you get to watch the first time they meet down by the beach and he's sitting on the stairs having his plate of chicken and she's like helping herself to the chicken and they're talking and getting to know each other for the very, very first time. Yeah. Um, Which you learn is actually the first time, yeah. Yeah. And then the, the scene kind of, they're, they're sort of, their conversation kind of finishes and they're sitting there at the beach um, and she goes, you know, Joel, it's going to be over soon. And he goes, yeah, yeah because it establishes that she is every character that he's remembering is his own mind, and yeah, so it's his own construct of that. So if he's, he's interacting with them, he's interacting with himself. He's just inputting their personality onto that construction. Yeah, yeah. And so she goes, Joel, this is all going to be over soon. They're they're going to delete me. And he goes, oh, I know. What should we do? And he goes, let's just enjoy it. Yeah. And I, I sort of I liked that. I, that was a surprise to me at the end of that scene that he was like consciously living, he was consciously choosing to live through that memory. I sort of, I'd, I had forgotten that he was lucid, like lucid dreaming through all of them at that point. Right. I, I, I had thought that was like a flashback. Mm. And so I liked, I liked that he, he had just consciously cho- chosen to sort of ride that memory out. Right. I think that would have almost been like a better ending than <laughs> the one that they actually do. Yeah. Like and I- double back and double back. <laughs> Yeah, because it's it's at the point where he he finds that he's unable to stop the memory erasing thing anymore because he's decided he doesn't want to have his memory erased anymore. He wants to keep them, and I don't know. I I liked the kind of bittersweet resignation he had there, and it was it was was great. Uh, My question was about um, yeah. My favorite moment was actually I feel like it's not even a lived memory. It's him talking about a memory that he has. It's when he first goes and talks to David Cross and David Cross's girlfriend who's i don't know the name of um and he walks it's when he's describing when he first goes to talk to her after she's had her memory erased at the library and she doesn't remember she just pretends well she actually doesn't remember him but he thinks she pretends like she doesn't remember him um and he turns around red-faced after he sees her kiss elijah wood um and starts walking, and as he's walking, all of the lights in the library progressively like shunk, 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 shut off. Oh yeah! And then he walks through the door, and he's in the he's at the uh, the the entranceway in their family home with the library black lit behind him, and like that must have been done practically. He must have walked onto their house as a set or something. Yeah. And then he's talking to David Cross, but the way he was describing it, it was like he was it, that was the real thing behind him. And I'm then it was des- like a relayed I'm, memory. I'm not describing that, yeah. it very well, but they basically don't cut. It's the same place. so that it He walks really... from the memory through the front door into him back in the conversation with David Cross. Exactly. Of. And it sort yeah. of really smashes together. It, it's very... Uh, th- that's a good example of how the film kind of like really conflates reality and memory yeah. um, a lot well, of that- the time. That reminds me of a lot of the lighting in this movie that I thought was really cool. When because the memories are kind of almost like an inception, how the dreams start to degrade and fall away. His yeah. memories start to degrade and fall to pieces. And as he's often like spotlit with really harsh lighting. By the yeah, end. So, yeah, so you'll see some memories that. that are normally lit, and then you'll see him return, like running through those memories, like he's running through passages. Um, 
and they will be dark and they're lit by a ca- like a torch that the camera cameraman's holding. Yeah, it's like it's, it so it's almost me like, of like found footage kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Watching like police storm a, a dark apartment building yeah. or something, and so you're watching someone like frantically try to open doors, and there's just a torchlight illuminating them. It's pretty. But it cool. might be like outside in the on the beach or like in a corridor if it's apartment right, or whatever. It's right, all right, so. Right. And I thought that was really cool. The 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 giving like a like a tangibility and an interactivity to the memories that he's not. So he's not just like it's they're not just flashbacks. I like the in. It was like a fresh take on like a romance kind of thing. About yeah, like definitely. These people's relationship fall apart. Definitely. Um, my so, my question twenty minutes yeah. ago was what you thought about the lab techs and all their. That whole side Yeah, that whole so there's a subplot with... Uh, f- f- it really broke my brain at first. Uh, Elijah Wood, Mark Ruffalo... Elijah Wood and Mark Ruffalo play... So In 2004. Frodo, Frodo from The Lord <laughs> of the Rings and The Incredible Hulk from the recent Avengers movies. <laughs> yeah. um, I didn't recognize him play, at first, uh, though. Yeah, no, I, I, I did, and it was really very strange. <laughs> they play lab technicians that, fr- that work at this memory-erasing place, and the way that they do this is that they they'll give you a pill that knocks you out and then they come around to your house and do it so that you wake up in your own bed without the memories and you can just kind of like start your life. Also, Jim Carrey sleeps on his fold-out couch, assumedly, which is fucking weird. Uh, yeah, maybe that's, that's a like, New York thing. Yeah, like people can't afford proper beds, but um, <laughs> just thought that would be fucking horrible. Oh, so, yeah, definitely will be. <laughs> anyway, they come around and uh, they start doing it and then like basically they're just... Proceed to be incredibly irresponsible. Well, the the in an interview, Mark Ruffalo says he describes them like the sort of guys who'd come over and paint your house for ten bucks. Like they right. rock up with like a six pack of beer and chips, and they put put on music while they're doing it, and just like walk all over all the furniture and don't shit. Don't really like, care. Yeah, don't exactly. Really care, no. uh, which is wild when you think about like the um, significance it's like a medical of the work procedure that they're, they're doing. doing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then uh, Kirsten Dunst. Uh, it comes in and uh, she's like Mark Ruffalo's girlfriend. Um, yeah. And so then Elijah Wood needs to piss off, which we find out is to, he's, um, it's like, yeah, I don't know whether, I, I guess the movie probably was a little bit self-aware, but it didn't, I was, I just wasn't, 100% convinced that it knew how creepy it was being with Elijah no, Wood's def- character. it definitely did. It was so creepy. So, so when you, yeah, when you choose Mark to get your memory erased... Mark character doesn't confront him about it. He's very, like, passive, and I suppose that's just furthering his character being a shit Oh, he bag, sort of... But... I, I, think, I think Elijah Wood doesn't entirely own up to it straight away. He's like, oh, would this be bad if I did this? And Mark Ruffalo's like, yeah, that'd be crazy unethical. What are you talking about? No, because then he makes <laughs> a, a joke. a little bit of it. He's like, um... He talks about because he's so Elijah Wood like steals a pair of her panties, yeah. and he falls in love with her when they they went around to erase her memory, and so he it turns out he has then um, found her where she works and is like pretending like they just met and they've started dating. Yeah. Um, well, all the doctors and lab techs and that whole part of the whole, Ma- the whole Mark story. Ruffalo's joke is like it would be of course that's really unethical. You stole a pair of her panties and then he laughs. And it's. I think the point is like it's wrong to steal the panties, but going and dating her is like fine. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. Well, they're all dirtbags. I, th- I, I know. Think, like, yeah. The doctor like, and the receptionist. Oh, I don't like anyone and, in this fucking movie. <laughs> well, I, I think it's interesting that all the the lab techs and all the people from this like medical clinic that are offering this like perfect way to fix your life are all the yeah. most amoral dirtbags ever. Like, yeah. They like up to your apartment st- in the middle of the night. Yeah. Irresponsible uni students. Yeah. Yeah. And then the doctor is cheating on his wife with the receptionist, and no one in this film has the moral high ground. No, um, not at all. And I kind of like, like I think that Jim Carrey's character kind of. I mean, like he makes poor choices about himself, but he almost feels like a victim in all of it. 
Um, yeah, I, I feel like I, do, I his character feels so simpery to me that um yeah yeah even um, even just the idea to like uh, oh I got dumped uh, she erased me so I'm gonna erase her yeah <laughs> oh yeah harsh. I can kind of understand that but yeah yeah it was um, like oh god yeah so then that that subplot I I feel like it that felt almost like it aged less well than the rest of the movie it felt like it was that like as this is what I was alluding to earlier where the comedy felt like the weak part of the rom-com um, because I feel like yeah. all, almost all of the com comes from this entire subplot where it's funny that they're like smoking weed and drinking and dancing in his apartment while he's undergoing this severe medical procedure. Um, yeah. And then of course, like something starts going wrong. So they have to call their boss and there's a bunch of like weird jokes about Kirsten Dunst, like pretending she's not high and fucking it up. Which the then, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it tries to get around. I felt like it, it wasn't trying to get around, but like it's then like, oh, actually, that was a bait and switch. She's acting weird because she remembers him because she's had her memory erased and they had an affair and fell in love or whatever. Um, yeah, and then it was just like, well, this doctor also sucks. Everyone sucks. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> everyone sucks, but not in a way where I felt like the movie was trying to make them suck. And I well, feel I th- like that's what I didn't buy into. If you bought, I could understand why you'd love this movie if you bought into the premise that it really meant for everyone to suck in a satisfying way. Yeah. But I found that everyone sucked in an unsatisfying way. I think that was yeah, my that's main fair. Um, the manic pixie dream girl thing you said before reminded me of this video essay I watched when I was. I'm not I was sure. Just- by the way, I haven't looked into the term. But I feel like, because obviously uh, there's been a lot of rhetoric recently about how Mary Sue is not a particularly fair or uh, not sexist uh, term to use. The, and I'm not the, sure if this one falls into the same category. So if it does, I'm sorry. But yeah, that's the term that I know. The definition of this random dude on YouTube right. that he was working with was the idea that the manic pixie dream girl trope um, uh, is co- commonly, there's some, some movie called Elizabeth with, um, I don't know, Google that for me. Um, Elizabeth Town, that's it, right? Orlando Bloom, Kirsten Dunst, yeah, that's it, right? Cool. Came yeah. out in two thousand five. So, came out after this movie. So there's this movie called Elizabeth Town, right. which is commonly referred, which is like a common example of this movie where the, the female character lacks all motivation um, for herself and is really only there to like further the male character's uh, okay. uh, development. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be like this, like outgoing. Uh, lively girl who teaches the main character to get out of his shell and like enjoy the wonders of the universe kind right, of bullshit right, right. but really she doesn't have any substance to her um, and it's like a male fantasy kind of thing when uh, Kate Winslet's character is talking about how like men think that I, I'll complete them or I'm going to make them right, alive right exactly and that's what, they're, that's what they're playing on the idea there yeah, is that in sure. this movie Kate Winslet's character has her own motivations and her own problems and she's like a fully fleshed out character and she's kind of a piece of shit like she doesn't just exist to better Jim Carrey's uh, motivate uh, Jim Carrey's character arc right Maybe maybe she isn't a great character either. I don't know. But that was the argument this guy was making. And he, he said, for example, in 500 Days of Summer, that's another one where she's often referred to as like this manic pixie dream girl. Right. But the whole point of the movie, and the writer and Joseph Gordon-Levitt have all said, the whole point of the movie is that she keeps saying, like, I don't want to be someone's girlfriend. I don't... I don't, I don't want to be that for you. I don't want to... I don't want to do all this. And then Joseph Gordon-Levitt, spoiler alert for 500 Days of Summer, out yeah, of nowhere. Like, <laughs> the whole... Well, well, it it doesn't it doesn't go well for him because she right. keeps saying like I don't want to be that for you. I can't be that. I, I don't want to be like your girlfriend. I don't want to like. I can't offer you that kind of emotional support. Um, yeah. 
and so it, that's also like playing completely against the whole idea of what a manic pixie dream girl character trope is supposed to be. Right, right, right. Um, it's I th- so I feel I feel like in short it's supposed to just be this this uh, a female character by some <laughs> written by some Hollywood dude who hasn't fleshed the character out properly and she's just this quirky fun ball of energy that's just yeah. there to flesh so, out the the male character. Story I definitely line. agree that she's one like a a great improvement upon like Kate Winslet's character has like uh, emotional. Well, I don't know. She I wouldn't say she has emotional depth, but she's got <laughs> she has her own like agency at least. Um, yeah, and she's very like she's reasonably transparent about that. Yeah, um, but I also found her to undergo like no emotional change. Uh, throughout the entire film, really. Well, no one um, does. The, the whole movie doesn't. It's also they sort of do by the I time they I think Jim Carrey decide. does, but the problem is yeah. when she's being reasonable, she's his imagination of her. She's not actually her in real life. <laughs> when she's actually yeah. her in real life, she's always a shithead. Well, I so, feel like you have to, you have to give some credence to him remembering what actually happened properly. Like no, but like when re- she's helping him out and being reasonable and like they're oh, working yeah, together right, as yeah. a team, that's like. Yeah. The, her most tolerable and that's just him trying to make her like trying to remember her in a way that helps it's them favorable yeah right. <laughs> yeah yeah and whereas um, like in the actual memories she's just being an asshole because I think she the whole is point of the movie again though, yeah i think the whole point of the movie again though is that it's not a relationship that's ever gonna work right and so the best they can do is realize that they're both assholes and break up. I just don't so think when that they both, are both assholes. Well, Maybe this, you know what I mean. Like realize that she, she's an asshole, and he's kind of a. Even if just she's an asshole, and he doesn't really lack the the strength to deal with that properly. Yeah, yeah. He might. He's not. He's not. He's not like a strong kind of. He's not like a strong guy. Emotionally, he, I think he's still falling in love with an idea of what he thinks she is, or maybe like something in his brain is just like yeah. in love with this person, and he can't possibly escape it. But that yeah. just means, like, at best, I feel sorry for him because he's going to have to. I think he's supposed to. He's sort of doomed to repeat this whole cycle that could just go forever. It's like Groundhog Day, where the writer of Groundhog Day said that he was in the in the one day for ten thousand years. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I just kind of dispute that. Um, the movie was w- was so um looked at the end as like a tragedy and looked at the, the 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 idea that they end up together as being this tragedy because it felt like it was meant to it was meant to be bittersweet and it wasn't bittersweet it was just bitter because i was like she sucks dude she sucks so much and like you suck a little bit but she sucks so much yeah, well, there's that. There's that. Um, so when Kristen Dunst or Kirsten Dunst is getting is high and makes out with the doctor, and his, the doctor's like cheating on his wife with Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. Um, she's trying to impress him by giving off all these philosophical quotes, yeah, which might nature. be like a back, <laughs> which might be like a backhanded way of trying to pass off the pretentious fucking quotes that they're dropping to try and summarize their movie. Also, like Nietzsche is meant to. I feel like Nietzsche. I've never even read Nietzsche, but I feel like he's the person that people have read when they think that they've read a lot and like <laughs> he's the philosopher that she's like the edgy one that talks about death and existentialism and stuff and like nihilism a little bit and so like if someone drops a Nietzsche quote it's like oh okay yeah whatever well I'd never read this um this poet before I'd never heard of this poet that she quotes after Nietzsche yeah. Alexander Pope but it's where the title yeah, of the film comes from one, yeah. and I'll read the quote it's how happy is the blameless Vestal's lot the world forgetting by the world forgot Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Each prayer accepted, each wish resigned. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. 
that kind of um yeah it, it's it's kind of kind of the whole the, it seems like the whole point of that is saying like yeah must must be great to be a fucking idiot who doesn't remember shit <laughs> it's 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 like this 1800s ass way of saying ignorance is bliss in a way where it's like yeah but you're still ignorant and it's the same way this movie comes back to like um the the development of the characters being these two or one of them's a dirtbag the relationship's never gonna work right and the thesis of the film I suppose is that like all the shit stuff in your life is still valuable valuable experience and you shouldn't you shouldn't I don't know you can regret it or maybe you shouldn't regret it you should be happy that you've got that as a valuable experience that you can learn from yeah. otherwise you could be like these two losers that are just gonna get in the same relationship again but and a movie that was about the um a movie that was about the value that your negative experiences have upon um like the betterment of yourself as a person right and like that's fine but then i feel like there's no emotional growth for either of the characters because they just end up doing the same thing as they did initially yeah that's what's i think it's a lesson to the audience though cuz yeah right at the very end they have that growth when they're listening to the tapes of each other and they're properly yeah, communicating I just didn't they feel find like the it was therapy meant to be tapes a lesson. i felt like it was just meant to be the end of the movie and like it was <laughs> it was like, Is this well, what it's like to what talk I mean? to me <laughs> no uh, <laughs> I just no, of course it is because like they finally get to a point where you think like all right they're there and then they like erase shit like they get tapes where it's yeah. where or maybe I'm getting the timeline or model but they they listen to each other's tapes of them complaining about each other they listen to the tapes and like she's in his apartment as he's talking about like how she has sex to lure people yeah, this yeah, about her and yeah, yeah. yeah that's right at the end yeah right and then they st- so I suppose that's even more infuriating because they listen and to all those they t- walk and into the corridor the and she's anyway. like you know I'm going to treat you like shit right it's what I do it's kind of my thing and he's like <laughs> okay and she's like okay great <laughs> and then yeah. he's like okay great <laughs> and then credits well yeah he's I like, don't know I, I hate both of you I feel like they're looking back on that they're looking back on them that they don't remember anymore as like separate people yeah and they go like, oh, that'll never happen to us. I just want to know. I, I, no, want Charlie, will. I want Charlie Kaufman to tell me <laughs> how much I was meant to hate Kate Winslet's character. Because if he was like, oh, you're meant to absolutely abhor her. She's meant to embody all of the worst things that you've come to learn <laughs> that people can act. All of the worst ways people can act in relationships. Like she is borderline abusive. She's emotionally, yeah. she emotionally blackmails him. She gaslights him. She's erratic in her behavior. She never communicates properly. And then she blames him for that lack of communication. Yeah, absolutely. She like publicly embarrasses him. <laughs> uh, she yells at him. Uh, she is extremely irresponsible, like to the point where, like criminal negligence, yeah, drink yeah, yeah. driving home. You're the definitely that, supposed to not like her. The second want- that someone drink <laughs> drives home, I'm like, I just want no character in this film to be yeah. interacting with you. But then it doesn't critically examine any of her behavior. I think that's what drive me, drove me crazy, is that at no point does any character sit down properly and be like, you are a horrible person. I think it's enough that you recognize horrible. that she's a horrible character. You, you, don't, you don't need someone on the screen to like but if condescend to you by like pointing at her and being like, bad woman, bad. I don't need like, them to tell <laughs> me why. I don't need them to tell me that she's a horrible character, but I need some critical examination of that horribleness at least. Or I need to understand why that's not on screen. I feel like and depicting the horribleness. And no, that's no, there's it, no... But there's no examination of that throughout the whole movie. At no point does it... Uh, ask 
whether or not she's being reasonable, I think. It just expects you... Because you know you, she's not. Right, but it just expects then you to be empathetic towards a character that seems to be completely blind to that. I think you're more empathetic towards Joel's feelings about her, regardless of what she's like as a person. But that just I, um, made me very frustrated. Because I was I, like... I can, I can understand that. I just yeah. can't understand why you would feel that way towards this person. And like, yeah. as I said, you're just doing this to yourself. So I have no sympathy and no... And very little empathy. And I understand that I'm <laughs> supposed to empathize, but that makes me feel like I have to do work to empathize with you. I suppose maybe you're supposed to understand why it is that he loved her in the first place. Or why it is that at some point he decided he wanted to hold on to some of the nice, the happier memories. But even he himself as, at the much start of the film get. says, why do I fall in love with every woman that makes eye contact with me? <laughs> and I just thought like, yeah, there will be another one. And she yeah. might be less horrible than this one. Yeah. So just be with the other one. But he doesn't know that because he's forgotten it. Yeah. So it's you just have to watch the whole thing happen. No, nah, I didn't. I didn't well, enjoy that's, this that's movie. That's the way you're supposed. <laughs> that's the way you're supposed to watch the movie. Is but as soon as the credits end, you restart it. Yeah. You watch again it and again, again and again. Again and yeah. again and again and again yeah. and again. And that's why the DVD version came with one of those little MIB flick up things you just flash <laughs> yourself in the eyes with, and it comes with instructions to watch it again. Did you see the memory thing coming? Did you know uh, that it was part which, of the movie? Which which aspect? The whole the whole the whole idea of the movie being about erasing memories. Um, I, I I think I knew that there was some level of like distinct thing about this particular film, and so um, like when you see them on the train, and then it flashes back, and they've already met, and you're kind of like, wait, what? No. So what I thought it was going to be was, and it oh the Netflix thing. Um, yeah, it probably ruins it. Yeah. Had like a t- not, it didn't fully ruin it, but it had a t- something that almost like a red herring. It was like um, <laughs> uh, after a couple's relationship goes rocky, they both decide <laughs> it's best to forget about it or something. And I was like, right, yeah. so they have a relationship already. So right. And then I was thinking, what I actually thought would be the premise of the film is that you, you go into a simulation and you meet a person that you don't know is actually your partner. And or maybe you unintentionally meet your partner in in a simulation and you don't know it's them. And so you fall in love with each other in that simulation and you realize like, oh, I've been I I, we our relationship was on the rocks. Maybe we were together too long and we've started to resent each other and hate each other. This is a way that we can remember what we loved about each other from the start and recognize that that's the value of it. And then it's just even close to what <laughs> no. to what the film was. You can write that movie. There you go, baby. That's yeah. for you. Well, it's almost like a Black Mirror episode. Um, the one yeah. where she's a the, it's the people in the simulation, uh, the simulated town. I don't want to spoil it. There's a Black Mirror <laughs> episode that's sort of similar to that. But, okay, right. um, yeah. So I can't remember the name of it. Is why I'm not saying it. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, yeah. So that was the premise that I thought they were running with, and then right. um, when I realized like. So I, I didn't really know. And then, uh, yeah, they had the, the memory erased. I think I'm into it. And it was like, oh, okay, I think I see. It's like she's had her memory erased because she's allegedly like that impulsive. Also, if she did have her memory erased of him, um, it's such a big fuck you that it was like irredeemable. I don't know. What? Uh, just like not telling someone that you're going and having them erased from your entire memory. This yeah, she's like an impulsive, awful person. You. Yeah. <laughs> but like she's an impulsively vindictive awful horrible i can't i can almost not think of a worse thing to do to someone <laughs> than and a more selfish thing than to have the person that you love erase you from their memory and just yeah. continue on living yeah it's terrible that's like 
it's not just terrible. It's like, how could you then <laughs> ever see that person ever again and that not be the only all-consuming thought that you have of yeah, how right. much they must have... How much they must have disdained you and, like, <laughs> how much they spurned you by doing that. That it's like... It, it's amazing that technology exists to ha- to be that horrible towards someone, and the fact that they would take advantage of it, it would be lo- uh, it's so much less cruel to just kill them. <laughs> That's how I felt but- about it, and, and like, is the strength of that emotion kind of explaining why I hated this movie? Because it just never. Oh, I, I understand. I understand why you hated the movie. <laughs> it never treated her behavior with the severity that I expected it to treat it with. I feel like, and you so often the whole do that, time though. I was like, once again. She is emotional Genghis Khan. She just and You know she's she just, bad for him. That's why like, the movie She's not just bad for him though. I feel like you're not using words that are strong enough Thematically, for like, the, the level movie of acknowledges abuse that, that she's she... bad for him because they when end up say, in the movie and it's oh, bad. Oh, we're bad. For him. When we when you say like oh, we're bad for each other, I think like sometimes we fight. Not like she, bro, she's going to like run you dry emotionally in three months and then erase you from her memory so that you walk <laughs> into a library and see her kissing another man. Like, yeah. that is wild. That's it's, crazy. Like I said, it's hard. I think Charlie Kaufman did a good job, like, constructing the most horrible emotional situation <laughs> possible. It's, it's an so- interesting premise for a movie as well, isn't it? It is interesting. And then its execution completely flubs it. I disagree. I think that it's really yeah, interesting. It's I think it's an interesting. Claimed. It's just a personal difference. I'm yeah. not trying to argue that um, you should have seen it my way, but that's why I hated this movie. She was yeah. just so irredeemably unlikable that I found it impossible for me to buy into the premise that he would. That it's in, in any way an understandable decision to go after this person again. Yeah. Even I, I, if you're expecting them to just, <laughs> like. Okay, if I just take at face value that he's in love with her and try not to ask why or no, how. I think, I, think it's, I watched this 10-minute little making-of featurette that was sort of... I don't remember who it was, but someone involved with the movie says, like, you're supposed to not like her at the start and then understand why it is that Joel liked her. By right. the time By the time he starts to reg- regret erasing her, yeah. you're supposed to understand why. That never happened for me. Right. Well, for, for me, I sort of, you sort of, I sort of start to feel sorry for him for I felt sorry being for him, stuck. for different reasons. Yeah, you know, he's sort of like stuck in this erasing thing he no longer wants to happen. And I, I feel like you're supposed to understand why he no longer wants it to happen because he wants to keep the memories, whatever. I think the movie, to sort of round up, I think I'm, I'm, I'm sad you didn't like it. I, I feel like I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. <laughs> yeah, no. This I, was definitely, like... I didn't really like it the first time I watched it. I feel like I watched it when I was sort of 16 or something the first time. Right. So maybe it was a bit more of a woke-ass movie the first time. But like, yeah, it's like know. a criticism of people uh, who th- or think that like, just because something that happened to you was negative doesn't mean it has value kind of thing. Like Specifically about relationships, I think it's even interesting to just sort of, without expounding on it, without a plot, without... Uh, expanding the thing with the movie too much like even just the idea that like breakups that are doomed to fail are inherently bad and just ba- bail out like I've I feel like I've, I've heard that happen a few times where it's like you've got like a like a relationship that you know isn't it's like I'm not going to marry this person and the thesis yeah. of the movie is like well just go for it see, see what happens you might you might end up with a few experiences that were worthwhile worthwhile living through it just just because something doesn't happen perfectly doesn't mean it's worth Ignoring it completely. It's not, yeah. As a, as a good th- as a thesis for a, for a rom com, I think that's cool. The the idea that like something 
you, you don't have to hope that something's going to go perfectly to commit to it. You can commit well, the, to something knowing it's not going to go perfectly. The thesis that I came up with was like, what would would you what would it be like if you started a relationship with like the worst parts of <coughs> arguments that you'll ever have with that person in the front of your mind? Would you still, if you knew that, would you still like if you were presented with that at the moment at which you ostensibly felt the most strongly for that person that you ever will because you're yeah. so you get that like rush of love at the start. And I, the answer f- for me was like, well, no. Yeah, I, don't, I think you're supposed to hate the fact that they're together at the end of the movie. Yeah, because sure. you know that it's a bad decision. But I think but- I hated it more than the movie did. <laughs> 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 Like, I, I feel like I must have because otherwise <laughs> I would have enjoyed it more. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, the oh, scene well. where, um, but just before we round out, the scene where Jim Carrey is playing young Jim, uh, Joel's young Joel, <laughs> yeah. and he's like under the table. Yeah. And, um, he's and Kate like, Winslet is like massive because she's he's like visualizing. Size. Yeah. She's a, she's a large woman. <laughs> and, um, She's like, <laughs> he's like visualizing himself as a child. And so there's this like beautiful, just before it goes into that, there's this beautiful mix of like his young and old or his young life and his current life where like he's on under a corrugated roof, listening to the rain and feeling it like coming on his skin. And then the kitchen area that he's in has rain in it. And the top of the table that he's looking at is corrugated. And so it's doing this really great like mix of reality and, um, his, I think the way memories. everything's shot and put together is so good in well, this it was, movie. It's practically done, not just yeah. done in the edit, which is wonderful. And then, like, <laughs> that, th- there was this beautiful <laughs> swell of music, and then there's just, like, adult Jim Carrey wearing children's pajamas under a big coffee table. And it was like, this... <laughs> <laughs> this did not age well. <laughs> and, like... Then they make a vagina joke where he's like a kid in his dream and she like flashes him her and they call oh, well, it just, a crotch because they needed an M rating movie and they didn't <laughs> want to say the word vagina. Just that one scene. If you, you, you like Snapchatted me that one scene and nothing else, that could have looked like I was trying to get you to watch some weird pajama film. It was like, wait, it's like, Charlie, we're too deep in your subconscious, mate. <laughs> we're, we're too Oedipin. We need to, you need to back up, bro. Because then, yeah, it's like. She's this. She's clearly this. Um, this woman that he, I don't know, might or might not have had like sexual feelings for at the time that she kind of like inhabits instead of the woman that he remembers. Um, <laughs> and it's just very weirdly like childlike. And he, yeah, he's like, God, I wanted to pick me up. It's weird how strong <laughs> that urge is. There's a few like funny lines, but on the whole, it was just like, oh god, this is so weird. Also, the music yeah. really broke me out of it a lot. I think um, I was I linked you to one track that I really yeah. liked, but um, I feel like it's often really overbearing and very overbaked. Um, I think it won in the Academy Award for best original score. Uh, it won best original screenplay. Uh, I think it won best original screenplay, and Kate Winslet won best actress. Yeah, okay, fine. I think it uh, didn't win the, the Academy two, Award for Best Original Score. Those were score. the two nominations. No, I don't <laughs> think it did, and rightly so, because I think the score sucked. Yeah, all right. <laughs> it was just too... It felt very, like... Hollywoody um, and... Yeah, but, like, mid... Like, early 2000s Hollywoody, where, like, they'd be like, uh, wait a second, and you'd get an oboe being like... Boop, 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 in the background. It's like, this is a fucking... Ah... Uh, like Randy it's be Newman. It's like a rom com. It's like, yeah, exactly. It was like Randy Newman shit. And I'm like, fuck, <laughs> just back off. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Um, I don't know if that's... A, I, I, are you prepared enough to come up with a better than, worse than? I, I think, like, thinking of, like, rom-coms that have a good... An, 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 a weird sci-fi premise. Um, oh, okay. Is another yeah, good yeah, example. Yeah. Well, this would definitely be worse than her. Um, uh, let me try and think of ones that this was better than. Okay, I've got one that this is better than. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I only have movies that this is worse than. <laughs> <laughs> Even like rom coms with a sci fi premise. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll put one on par with it. Um, oh, what's that movie with the two? Um, Booksmart. I think this is better than Booksmart. Oh, uh, that doesn't have a sci fi premise. Ah, oh, okay, fine. Well, it's a rom-com. That's not even about have you a seen relationship. That, um, have you seen About Time? Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't. I've heard that's like thematically it's terrible. Right, right, um, right. Because that's a, yeah, that's another Richard Curtis movie, isn't it? That I haven't seen it. I'm sure people love it, and I like Richard <laughs> Curtis. But I had someone explain it to me. It's like this dude keeps Groundhog Groundhog Day. Groundhog daying himself into this woman's life until he tricks her into loving him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I'm just trying to remember the name of the movie that I was going to put it on par with. Jesus. Um, oh yeah, Passengers with um Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt, <laughs> where they're like uh, yeah, yeah, two yeah. people stuck on a ship together, and they end up yeah, waking yeah, yeah. one of them wakes the other one up. Yeah. Um, I felt like that was an equal, or maybe not equally frustrating, because I liked that movie. For like the first part of it, I I liked that movie. Um, I just hated what happened eventually. Okay, so um, we're saying this is better than Passengers. No, it's it's on par with Passengers, but I feel like it's just an older movie, so it hasn't aged as well. Um, I'm gonna say better than Passengers because we sure. gotta gotta come up with something better than <laughs> sure. Passengers, worse than her. I think it's definitely worse than her. I would also say in terms of uh, rom-coms that are meant to be like intentionally bittersweet and where the couple is a spoiler alert for... Um, well, you uh, fucked it now. No matter what movie you say, you've spoiled it already. No, no, no. For, for, um, for the spectacular now where yeah. um, the characters might not be like... When you say they're not good for each other, that's kind of what I think of. That like, yeah, they, they absolutely love each other and one of them is kind of a dirtbag, but at least like is redeemable enough that you understand why she might want to be with him. Man, I got to watch that movie again. We loved that when it was It's in really cinema. it's a really good movie. A great movie um and like a really strong ending which I feel like is kind of maybe going for a sort of similar tone than this movie was, but it felt like it was just so much better executed. Uh, your so, stupid yeah. ass just wanted a happy ending. I reckon no, it's not a happy ending. Neither of them are. And I didn't want a happy ending. I hate happy endings for the sake of it. That's one of the reasons why Passengers sucks so fucking bad is because it has a happy ending. And uh, it, you see it coming a mile off and then the rest of the movie is boring. So, yeah, right. Okay. So what, what, what's yeah. that? Is that a worse then? Better than yeah, Passengers? Yeah, I, I think it's worse than The Spectacular Now, which is a movie that does complex relationships better. Okay, great. Well, there you go. Better than Passengers. being a wallflower as well. There's three that it's worse than. Worse than her. Worse than Spectacular. Uh, now. Uh, worse than every romantic comedy I've made, except Perks for being a wallflower. Yeah, great, cool. Yeah, that's it for this week. We've uh, gone long again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a little bit, not too long. Uh, I think these Skype episodes are working all right. Yeah, I'm enjoying yeah. them. They're a lot easier to edit, actually. <laughs> okay. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. After after you work out the clapping and syncing bullshit that we have to do. It's, it's, yeah, which listeners you probably won't be privy to, but uh, last episode we we clapped 
in in sync over the phone to try and like get the timing right so we could sync up our separate audio tracks for like mm-hmm. five minutes. And I, I think imagine we got it, and I edited it. We got it like the second clap, and then we yeah. kept clapping about. And then Oscar made times. us do it like forty more times, and I was like, <laughs> "Bro, I promise you, I know how this works. It will be fine." And he was like, "Let's just do it one more time because it sounds like you're fucking it up." And I'm like, it's. I, I promise you it doesn't even matter if I am because as long yeah. as I clap three times and you clap three times, you can sync <laughs> it up the rest of the time. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, we so, got it. I think it's working all right. Thank you for listening. Well. Um, yeah. uh, we haven't really decided what we're going to do next week yet, but we never do, so there's no reason to start doing that now. Yeah, but I can tell you this. It won't be a new release film. No, 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 it won't. We're going to have to come up. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what we'll do. We should stay, decide stay surely tuned. and give people a chance to, to watch it. Well, we'll put it in the description like we do all the time. Yeah, if you yeah. didn't know that, we always put the movie that we're going to do next week in the description of this week's episode. So um, it's always in the description of episode 79. Um, <laughs> yeah, we go back and change it for every single <laughs> new episode. <laughs> um, so... Stay tuned for whatever we're going to do next week because it's definitely not going to be a new movie that you've seen. It'll be some yep. some old old weird thing that we've always wanted to get to. Yep. Uh, follow us on Facebook and uh, email us. All the links are in the description. Yep. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. I'll see you later.